Tonight, we'll conclude our study of the favorite Bible passages. There are two reasons for that. Number one, this is the last one that was turned in to me. Number two, next Sunday evening begins our summer series. And uh, I am really looking forward to our summer series. The theme is going to be Aspects of Worship. And next Sunday evening speaker is going to be Brother David Sane. And uh, Brother Sane always does a wonderful job. I know for those of you who may not have heard Brother Sane, he does a great job in preaching and teaching the truth. And he has a voice that I believe every preacher would uh, be envious of. He has just such a smooth way of presenting God's Word. And he's going to be talking about helps and hindrances when we worship God. And I know there's going to be some great lessons delivered in that series. Tonight, we're going to study 3 John, verses 2 through 4. And this is one of those positive messages that are needed, and they're often our favorites. I tried to go back and look at all the lessons that we have studied in our favorite Bible passages, and the majority of them had a nugget within them, a nugget of gold, <clears throat> that reflected something positive and encouraging. You know, the truth is, we need a balance in our preaching that involves a certain condemnation of sin, and yet at the same time holding out encouragement for good works. I've looked at the lessons that I've been preaching on Sunday morning from Malachi, and I would categorize them as those being negative. That is, those that show sin to be sin and pull out an importance of our avoiding those kind of things. On the other hand, there are people who need occasionally to have their spirits lifted. We need to come as we assemble together and hear a message that pulls out of us the desire to do better and be better and to have a positive impact in other people's lives as well. Well, the books of Second John and Third John and Jude as well are often referred to as biblical postcards. And the reason why is they're very short letters that were written to churches and individuals with the thought in mind, this is a short message, I'm going to tell you something later when I get there, but here's just a short thing that I need for you to know and understand. But within those short biblical postcards are some very powerful teachings that need to be considered. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4, and we're going to look at the wellness of life, the wellness of the soul, and then the walking in truth. Let's start out by looking at the first part of verse 2 again. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Prosper in all things. Now, when you think about prospering in all things, John is writing Gaius and saying, I, I want you to succeed in everything that you do. That involves the secular kind of success. You know, for instance, when you go out tomorrow and you go to your, well, probably most of you are not going to go out to work tomorrow, but Tuesday when you go to work, you're going to enjoy some time to be able to make money. Some of you may plant your crops. Hopefully you'll be successful in the planting of your crops. 
Some of you will go out with a plan of getting involved in some business and you hope to make a profit. That's as as it should be. Let me take you through some scriptures with some ideas that are involved in this. James talks about a man going into a city and making business. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go into such and such city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Now, pause for just a moment. That's the kind of thing that a man who is in a business enterprise might do. I think about Lydia selling purple. How she was from the city of Thyatira, but when she encounters Paul, she's in the city of Philippi. Evidently, she has gone there. She's staying there for a period of time and selling purple. Perhaps she had a circuit that she ran. I don't know. But I do know that people do things such as that. But Paul says, whereas you do not know what it shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And what James is addressing is the fact that people ought to have God in their plans. We ought to pray to God and thank God for the opportunities He's presented to us, but we also ought to ask that God give us the privilege of being able to do what is in the future as well. You know, if you're, if you're going to plant crops, it's certainly a good thing for you to get down on your knees, to speak to the God of heaven and say, God, would you please bless me and my family this year with a good crop? If a man is a cattleman, Lord, please bless our cattle. This is our means of our livelihood. And let them be fertile and let the, the cattle grow and let them be successful. When I go to other passages like Genesis 39 and verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. You see, Joseph was a man that everything he put his hand to, he did a good job and was successful. Joshua 1 and verse 8, God says, The law, book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You think about people in life being prosperous and successful. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor this also, I saw, was from the hand of God. God gives us the privilege to work, to be successful. When John writes this, he says, Beloved, I pray that you will prosper in all things. It's a good idea. The thriving of the church comes from successful members. You know, uh, we can't measure spirituality in dollar terms. We can't look at our contribution board and say, okay, we had X number of people here and we had this amount of contribution because people give as they are prospered. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he prospers, that there be no collections when I come. We give as God has prospered us. 
If the congregation, the people within it, are successful, guess what happens to the contribution? It grows. It does well. So when John prays, he said, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things. That's a good idea. Those of us who pray for one another ought to pray that others are successful as well because as each of us prospers individually, it prospers the Lord's work here as people give. But the Scriptures do teach the principle of hard work and the reward from that work. And you know in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, is the parable of the talents. And we can't look at all of it, but I do want to pull out a couple of things. Verses 16 and 17. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five, another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who received the one dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Verse 21, dropping down. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Talking to the five-talent man. Saying exactly the same thing to the two-talent man. You see, you work, you work hard, and you get a commendation from the Lord. In Proverbs 13 and verse 4, Solomon states it simply, The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. You work hard and you prosper. And what John is saying to Gaius is, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things. And then he says, and be in health. I think all of us know the difference between sickness and health. Sickness is when some disease attacks your body. We have to be careful of various communicable diseases. Uh, you get on an airplane. I noticed the other day a person was wearing a, a mask if they got on the airplane. They didn't want to get something from someone else. Very frequently when you get in large crowds, you may get a, some sort of illness from someone else. And Some illnesses just attack the body from various reasons. Sickness is a part of life, and it may even threaten life itself. For instance, if you go to the book of Luke, chapter 7 and verse 2, the centurion servant. It says, the centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Such a threatening sickness. You go to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not only him, but me also, that I should have, or lest I should have, sorrow upon sorrow. You know what happens when somebody is sick and they get well? You rejoice. And sometimes you wish for people health for them. You see somebody who struggled with a disease or some sort of illness for a long time and they get better and they're able to come back to service, you pat them on the back. Well, John is saying, I pray, brother, that you will prosper in all things and I pray that you're going to be in health. And we ought to give some effort, reasonable effort, 
and care for our body that we might make it healthy. And, you know, the Bible does talk about in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, bodily exercise profits a little. And he goes on to talk about spiritual exercise. Godliness is profitable for all things. Colossians 2.23, he talks about those people who have an appearance of wisdom and neglect of the body. He says that's not of any benefit against the indulgence of the flesh. You don't neglect your body. You do what you can to try to keep it well and to try to keep it in health. But then, I think the latter part of it is extremely important. He says, not only do you pray that you will prosper in all things and be in health, but he says, just as your soul prospers, you have your secular health and then you have your spiritual health. You know, the problem is, some people look and say, well, I can either be strong spiritually or I can be strong financially or in my secular success. And they say, well, I'm going to have to choose one or the other. Matthew 16, 26 says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What John was praying is, is that his spiritual or secular life would prosper, his physical health would prosper, but he says, I want you to do that just as your soul prospers. It's not either or, but it's both and. I want you to do well, but I want you to do well spiritually most of all. Let me point out to you that secular success does not satisfy your soul. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6 and verse 7, Solomon says, All of labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. Everything that you do in life, the hard work, yes, it has some satisfaction to it. It's for your mouth so you can eat, so you can survive. But that can't satisfy your soul. There's an inner part of man. There is a longing. Paul would put it in his lesson to the Athenians in Acts 17. He says that man might reach and feel for God or grope for Him, though he is not far from each one of us. There's a part of you who wants to know where am I from and where am I going and is life here all that there is? And the scriptures would say, oh, but there is so much more to come. Well, if John prays for his soul to prosper as well, how do you prosper a soul? How do you make it healthy and successful like you would, for instance, a person who may say, I want to be successful financially, and I'm going to go out and work hard, and I'm going to be diligent. Or a person who says, I want to be healthy, and I'm going to exercise, and I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to do this. How do you take a soul and prosper it? Listen to Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's Word is food for the soul. In Proverbs 16 and verse 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. 
You see, just like a person might want to eat something that's sweet and satisfying for their physical taste, and honey's always been one of those metaphors that the Bible has used, but he says pleasant words are like that. You say something encouraging to someone, and it gives them this urge, this emphasis to try to do something better. Proverbs 13, verse 19. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but is an abomination for fools or two fools to depart from evil. You know, you go out and you do something good, you do something helpful, Let's say there's one of the poor widow ladies here who is, who is struggling in life and needs some help. And you say, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to help her. I am going to mow her grass for her. I'm going to trim her bushes for her. I'm going to do something good for her. And you go out and you do that. You've accomplished something you know is good, you know is right. That is sweet to the soul. Hebrews 6 and verse 19 says... This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. He's talking about going to the presence behind the veil. That's into heaven. He says that's the anchor of our soul. You want to make a soul prosper? Keep that soul focused on eternity and on heaven. But Number three. John speaks in verses 3 and 4 about walking in truth. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John says, I was thrilled when brethren came. You know, sometimes brethren come and they tell bad things. They say, oh, this fellow did this, he did that. But this time the brethren came and said, do you know what? Gaius is a good man doing a good work and helping people do right. And wow, what an encouragement that was to John. He said, they testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in truth. You see, the truth, walking is a symbol of how you live your life. I decided I was going to go through and look at this usage here. There's so many passages I couldn't even, you know, 40, 50 passages which talk about walking as the way one lives his life. Let me just mention a couple to you from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who do not... Walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you walk according to the flesh, John or Paul would say, you must die. But if you walk according to the Spirit, you live. Walking according to the flesh, or the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, are things like adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, uncleanness. He gives all these lists of things. That's walking in the flesh. When you get to Romans chapter 13, verse 13, he says, Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, 
Verse 14 goes on to say, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He says we want to walk such as good people walk. John says I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Walking in truth means you walk by God's truth. In John chapter 8, Jesus was having a conversation, you may want to call it an encounter, with the Jews. And they were debating with him about being in bondage, slavery to another man. Jesus said it like this, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And when you get to the prayer of Jesus in John 17, verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What John is describing in 3 John, verses 3 and 4, when he's talking about walking in truth, he's talking about walking according to the laws, the commandments, the revelation of God. 1 John 1, verse 6, John puts it very simply. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But Gaius was walking in the truth. And that walking in the truth was a delight to John. I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children walk in truth. Faithful children are a delight to godly parents. Some of you have children who are as loyal, dedicated, and faithful as anyone could ever ask for. You ought to be thankful for them. Proverbs 10 and verse 1 says, A Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son makes a glad father. Foolish son is a grief of his mother. Or as you go a little bit further to Proverbs 15, verse 20, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 23, verse 15, verse 24. He said, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. I, I've got to think, when Solomon writes that, he's thinking about his son, perhaps Rehoboam. And as Rehoboam reads that, if your heart is wise, my heart rejoices. I myself, chapter 15, 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. You know how much I know that some of you love your kids? This last book, week on Facebook, you have pictures of your little kids getting awards, getting all kinds of things. And I can see parents, they're just tickled to death because their kids got an award for this or that. They may have even graduated from high school. Some of them may have graduated with honors. And parents are just thrilled to death. You want me to tell you something, even a greater thrill than that? If you look at your children and you see them faithful to God, living a good life, something honorable. Second John, verse 4, not Third John, Second John. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the Father. I am thrilled, John says, to hear that. In this case, it's just some. But you know, if you had ten kids 
and eight of them are walking in truth. I know the one or two that may be giving you grief may, may be difficult, but remember, when you've got kids that are walking in truth, they deserve the encouragement. Tonight, we're not concentrating on the people who are not here. We're concentrating on the people who are here and who are walking in truth and living according to God's law. Good wishes and praise for Gaius. He's a good man. Rear good children. Does good works for the Lord. you got a pat on the back. All of us need some constant positive encouragement, some building up. But heaven can only be found when we are walking together in truth. Tonight, if you're not walking with the Lord, I can tell you something that will happen. If you decide to repent and be restored, according to Luke chapter 15, there will be joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. You see, from God's perspective and looking down at us, once he sees us striving to walk in truth, God is thrilled, God is pleased, and so are the angelic host. It may be that you need to become a Christian tonight. I wish I had the words to convey to you the importance of making that decision now, not later, because I don't know that you'll have a later. But even more serious than not having a later is having opportunity, but your heart becomes a little bit hardened and life becomes a little more difficult. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come or the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now is the time. Would you come as we stand together and sing?